Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Monroe Chambers, an actor you may know from his roles on the TV series Degrassi The Next Generation and Second Gen, or from movies like Sadie's Last Days on Earth, Knuckleball, and Helmington. He turned up last month in Jovanka Vukovic's Riot Girls, and he's currently starring in Rob Grant's Harpoon with Emily Tyra and Christopher Gray. They play three friends whose pleasure cruise turns into a very ugly and pretty funny struggle for survival. It's playing in Toronto at the Carlton Cinemas right now, and it went live on iTunes this very morning. It's really fun, in a gruesome way, and you should check it out. Monroe picked Castaway, Robert Zemeckis' 2000 drama starring Tom Hanks as Chuck Noland, a FedEx employee who finds himself stranded on a tropical island after a plane crash, utterly alone and totally unprepared for the challenge. It's a survival story played for emotion rather than tension, and if you've seen the film, you know the real question on Zemeckis and Hanks' minds isn't whether Chuck will get off the island, but who he'll be when he does. Monroe gets it. This is someone else's movie. I'm assuming there's a model, there's a kind of a weird connection to Harpoon just in the isolation of it all, but what did make you pick Castaway? Well, mainly is the isolation, but I was trying to think of something that it had a very, very minimal cast and had many genres in it. Mm-hmm. So because Harpoon, when I first read the script, it had a little bit of comedy, a, a lot of horror, uh, thriller aspects, some drama, some little bit of romance, a buddy comedy in the sense I was, you know, there wasn't there's weird inspirations that Rob had that made us laugh. Like he kept referencing Seinfeld, okay, which was which was really really funny. But when I thought of Castaway, you know, that was the one thing that resonated with me because I I'm, grew up very fond of that era of film because um, I grew up in it, obviously. Sure. But Castaway, just specifically with Tom Hanks, he made such dramatic situations so funny and so real and charming that I thought I was like, okay that's very interesting and there's a slight comparison there obviously they're very very different in their execution um, in the sense of what the end goal is but I thought it was uh, I just love that movie in general yeah, yeah it's um, I, I'm kind of surprised no one's brought it up before because it's one of those movies that it's like it had a moment went away and then never really went away because it was on yeah. cable constantly and, yeah. and you just it's absorbed <laughs> into everything and when you when I heard you wanted to do it I was like oh cool. I haven't thought about that. Like, it's never really gone away, but I hadn't thought about it in a really long time, and I went back, and it's just, it's it's a really solid movie. I had forgotten just how good the filmmaking is, that that thing that Zemeckis does with the camera work, that sort of portentous, serious, self-serious thing he does, it works here in a way that it didn't in his previous couple, like What Lies Beneath, or even, even Forrest Gump, which, take or leave. Yeah. Um, and contact where the camera is always reminding you that you're watching a very important movie. And here, because there really is no story other than the moment-to-moment survival, like it works, and it made me pay more attention to Hanks and and just commit to the story so much more. He started it off with the with the brief or with the um, with the package with the FedEx package. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. This is going to be a fly on the wall film, and this is going to be something you know just to hone in on and pay attention. But you know, he he does that with. All of his films, you know, even with with flight, everything has a connection. Everything gets resolved in some way, shape, or form, mm-hmm. and he uses the dialogue very, very specifically. Um, but no, it's I, I. I was very shocked when you said like one of the two. I yeah. was like, I was like, really? Because I put that as first because I was like, okay, that's the comparison I thought of. I think it'd be fun to you know bounce in between them. But I thought for sure 
we're not going to be able to talk about it. I was telling my girlfriend, I was like, I was like, no, that, one, that one's going to be gone because I was going through the seasons and I was listening to some of the previous episodes. Oh, I see. And I was, I was like, oh no, it must be. It's probably in the earlier ones. I was looking through. I was like, oh no, okay, no, it's definitely gone. But I'll put it in anyway. Yeah. No, I always come back to the same thing. I try really hard not to direct people towards a choice when they offer multiples, and it's like, no, the one you feel most comfortable talking about for an hour. That's really the only thing. And sometimes it's like. Picks this one. Yeah, yeah. And other times it's just a, a total roll of the dice. So uh, for the listener, what was the other film you were suggesting? I was thinking of The Prestige. Also an interesting call. Just because I love that film. Yeah. <laughs> I, got, I try to pick things that a couple of them were, you know, certain performance base of inspiration and for the film. Um, and then other ones that I just admire and that like I've spent times talking about at length. Right. Um, especially because this is a podcast about talking about films. Yeah. I was like, okay, what films to me are the most interesting filmmakers that I think inspire me or filmmakers that I, I love to watch their films. And then let's just have that. And and it's, it's no, no, I was just going to say it's such a really interesting uh, duality too to pick Zemeckis and Nolan because yeah. you know one of them is so obsessed with the tactile and the real and, and film versus digital. And then there's Zemeckis who really, who, what? Um, what was the span of time between Castaway and Flight? It was like, 12, it would be 14 years. Yeah, and he did not make a, a physical feature between those two films. They were all digital. He was just playing with mocap and, and yeah. CG, and he almost did that hideous-sounding yellow submarine where he was <laughs> going to reanimate the Beatles <laughs> okay, okay. digitally. And, and I didn't see that. Well, he wanted to do a CG mocap version of Yellow Submarine, the movie, with actors. Uh, Peter Serafinowicz was going to play Paul, I think. Okay. But then then just replace them in, in, in the volume, in the realm, with the recreations of the Beatles as they would have looked. So it's even more beatle than the animated film, which uses caricatures, and it just sounded like the worst possible idea. Yeah. And, uh, but it I, could have been the best. I know. Well, that's how, that's how he, <laughs> that is how he put it. I asked him about it when he came through for Flight, and I was like, was that ever really going to work? And he said, we came so close. Oh, and, geez. of course, it's him telling me that, so right. I have no idea. Like, yeah. I th- I th- three guys at Apple are like, no, we didn't. No, no. Yeah. But I like that courage, though. I think there's so many things that are you know, cookie-cutter or safe, mm-hmm. and I think going something unique or something a little outside of it that you're like, oh, that couldn't, that's probably not going to work, but it could. Yeah. And to well, see if that will stick, I think, that's, I think that's awesome. That's something that I, in recent years, that's what I like. When, when you're reading something and you're like, ooh, this is, <laughs> like when we did Turbo Kid, when I was reading it, it was like, this is wild. Easily the wildest script I've ever read. 50% of the gore was taken out okay. while, fil- while filming it. So you can imagine what it could have been. That is a very enthusiastic film as it was shot. So, okay. Yes. But so we did that. I was like, I was like this is going to be, this is going to be fun. If people are going to get it, they're going to get it. But if not, we'll just see what happens. So I think, I think that's really fun when you have a director, especially a director of his stature, a director who, you know, has made these incredible dramatic films. And he's going, well, yeah, let's see. Take let's the let's I mean, roll the dice. Castaway's a gamble too, right? Because if if Hanks doesn't look right with a weight loss, if he's they right. shut down the production for what a year, two, I, th- I use like two, six months to a year or something to let like him that? lose the weight, and and he a bulked up beforehand, right? So it was a whole other thing where he's he gained fifty pounds. Yeah, he said he just didn't exercise, and <laughs> that well, I mean, I, I think given that it's Tom Hanks, he turns everything into a bit of a joke anyway. Yeah. he said like I just didn't exercise, yeah. and then. I didn't exercise and I only ate fish or something. Like he had, he he mimicked the diet, I think, that he would have eaten. Okay. Uh, something similar to that anyway to, to do the crash loss to make sure he was still getting enough protein. He was eating a lot of fish, but that's so unhealthy. And it works. Oh. I think that's it, right? Like that jump cut is, and now I can imagine 
Zemeckis wanting to do it digitally and other people have, but it is so shocking in the movie to go from that absolute low point of the, of the dental surgery, the, which is something everybody can empathize with, even though we can't feel it, we feel it, yeah. to go to that emaciation and, and the beard and the hair, and it's just like, it's really, it's daring, and, and I assume it was in the script the whole time that it was going to be that much of a shock, but to deliver it, to make it pay off, we need to care so much about this guy who we barely know. Yeah. Like we've, we've spent, what, 40 minutes with him by that point? If that, maybe less? Before he, he before the before the, the transition before the jump yeah yeah it's it was forty like fifty minutes right or something like that it's, and yeah and to see him robbed of everything like literally he's almost naked he's just completely without anything yeah uh, but himself but he's also gained so much and that's that's the whole meaning of it right like oh yeah you get to be stripped of everything to really appreciate and gain everything else like him running around the water trying to throw the the barely the sharp stick. Yeah. Into a fish and it's just not even a spear yet. Yeah, it's it's yeah. just it literally just snapped with his leg and let, let's see if it happens. And I remember I was watching, I was rewatching it, and <laughs> I was watching with my girlfriend. And that moment in the coconut where he's trying to hit it with a rock, and then my girlfriend literally out loud goes, "Try to cut into it," and then he goes, "Oh," and then re- <laughs> that realization of like he's it, all that. All that intelligence that he has at the beginning of the film and trying to control everything and thinking that he's smarter than everyone and, you know, even like undermining Helen Hunt in, at the dinner table oh, being like, yeah. you know, that the lawyer pre-law or whatever. It, well, I forget what the exact line is, but he's just undermining her ex-husband. All that was stripped away from him. And it was kind of like, no, he has to relearn everything. And it's, it's just, it's such a great film to be, to take yourself out of the stress of your actual life. And then let's see where you end up. I wouldn't like yeah. the fact. The fact that the only time this man sobs is when his imaginary best friend is floating away is incredible. I'd be sobbing the first ten <laughs> minutes in. There's no way. So, I, it, and I also thought that was an interesting play. I thought that took a lot of courage and a bold move for him to only show emotion, like that that string of emotion. Yeah, yeah. To an inanimate, non-receptive. In a very like this part. And he he picked his punches. The same thing with his anger and his frustration and his um, having everything around him be too much. He really picked his spots, and I I think you could you could put a lot of many actors in it, and I think they'd flourish. But it takes a very specific actor to do that for two and a half. Well, I guess it would be for an hour and a half alone, yeah, by himself, and make it entertaining. Yeah, and that's the thing Tom Hanks brings every time. He's I don't think he gets enough credit for the thing that he does because our concept of stardom, right, like movie stars versus character actors is that you want to see them do the same thing over and over again because that's how you like to imagine yourself or, you, right. you know, they're avatars for us or they're representational of some sort of desire that we all have to be famous, to be, you know, whatever the, the Jimmy Stewart thing is that Tom Hanks is often credited with, right? Like, I just want to be his pal. I want him to be my pal. I, yep. want to, I just want to hang out with this guy. That charm, yeah. Yeah, but what Hanks does, and he does it in almost every appearance, like even on talk shows, is he tells you that it's okay to invest in him somehow. Like, there's, a, there's an easiness, there's an approach. Even when he's playing people with, um, you know, sort of twitchy OCD tendencies or, or, yep. or off-putting things, that are the, the exceptions I would make, or maybe Road to Perdition and the Lady Killers, where he's playing a bad guy yep. who, and he's, that's the one time he's unconvincing because he has this warmth that doesn't go away. Yes. Uh, and even Road to Perdition sort of makes it okay for him to kill people because he's doing it in the service of his family. But 
he still like it, it reads as unconvincing when he does that and then when you see him play a person who is just um middle of everything mm-hmm. i guess like not middle class not middle aged but he's just every manny enough to be an everyman yep. to have just wandered in from off stage and here he is in this movie and we're going to follow him for a while like that's the most amazing thing of his that talent to just not to disappear, but to be Tom Hanks in the middle of this thing and have that quality of his. And I've I've I met him once on the Forrest Gump junket, and he's oh, cool. exactly who you want him to be. Which is, I mean, this is twenty five years ago, but he was utterly comfortable with the idea that people think he's famous, and just also not believing it himself. Like he really yeah. just doesn't seem. He didn't seem phased at the time, and this is just after he'd won uh, the Oscar for Philadelphia. See, that blows my mind. It's so nice to hear that about actors like that who you grew up idolizing mm-hmm. and you just don't know right like you don't know if they're going to be like the people in the films like you said but i think i think what he has there is even though he doesn't believe it or he has that little undermining he has full confidence in himself oh i think so and i think that's what makes there's certain actors who have a great ability to perform they have a great ability to create character and to transform and to understand a full arc of a script and how to pick their punch and do that but those amazing actors who are just confident just them and then they're able to tweak their emotions based on the character are incredible like when he plays can keep going castaway when he's slowly losing his mind and he's talking to wilson in the cave at not one point are you afraid of him because he's losing his mind and he breaks the stereotype of how i believe a lesser actor would have approached it they would have approached that scene a very very specific way which could have been a stereotype for someone losing their mind he made it so natural that was it's so like you said it's just so charming and so confident so just so him yeah and that warmth like you said never really goes away yeah and there's an undercurrent of fear which a lot of other actors i think would have avoided as well right Mm -hmm. because we can feel chuck being strong for wilson yeah right like almost that he's playing that and playing through his fear by Making sure Wilson knows he's going to be okay. Yeah, which is a relationship that makes like no sense. It's almost fatherly, but yeah. it's almost it's like but a best the, friend on a father. Yeah, the choice to adopt this, everything's going to be okay. Volleyball, you know, like he, yeah. he never, he never, ever has that moment where he stops and laughs at himself for talking to the ball. Like that's no. that you can I can picture Denzel Washington do, doing that. Like just I can picture. Um, Duvall doing that like yep. there are actors who would just go this is dumb I have to show people that I understand it but yeah he commits fully yep. to this relationship and you just yeah you can act against a blank screen and he he would still like he would compel me he would have me in the palm of his hand as an actor yeah. and because we've experienced I, I don't think I've, I've even started to talk about the way the film is made but that the choice to shoot the plane crash entirely from the inside Yep. Uh, and then, I, which I didn't notice the first time. I have to admit, I was so caught up in it that it wasn't until the second viewing, it's like, oh my God, we never leave the plane. No. Uh, gravity is changing, and it's all, I mean, it's obviously all in a green screen set and a gimbal and everything, but he does not condescend to the acting at all. No. Like he is utterly terrified, trying to be competent, and it's an early sign of how he's going to handle everything else, obviously, but it's a focused physical performance that's also somehow profoundly emotional even though he's doing what everybody would do which is just panic and try not to die yeah but it's yeah well it's 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 incredibly horrific and even the ability of the actors 
playing the, the pilots and the flight attendants. Like, mm-hmm. I really would love to talk to someone who has been in a situation like that and, and has come out and survived, um, how real that was. Because watching that, your hands just get sweaty and your feet get sweaty and you're just like, it just is so well done. And that look he has as he's seeing the very subtle look of the water yeah. bouncing around right before it hits. It's, it, again, like you said, it's just so well done. That Then that's cinematography and that's the, the sounds that everything is going around. It just, it's really incredible to watch that executed so well. Yeah. Have you seen it theatrically or only caught up to it on? Uh, only, I see, I, I watched, I only, because I was 10 at the time. Yeah, so no, I wouldn't I have thinking. been able to to do that but I, I remember because I grew up on it's funny that you said Denzel Washington because I was thinking to myself because with Castaway I grew up on Denzel Washington Tom Hanks Julia Roberts and Ron Williams okay those were like my four just growing up at the, at a very early early age of like actors that I was like I was like oh they're so good oh my god they're so cool and just because of their range and how um, how they're able to transform into different genres but um and all like sorry, I, proper, I went on a little no, tangent. No, no, no. The proper '90s movie stars, right? Like they that's all right. became themselves. They became that thing in the course of that decade. Yes. Like Washington's coming off of Glory, and uh, yep. Roberts is Pretty Woman. Like the early Hanks had big, but he hadn't really done a drama yet. And then 1990 comes along, and everybody expl- And Williams, I guess, was already doing Good Morning Vietnam and things like that. Yes. But it it they all sort of clarified and worked to the commercial cinema of the time. Mm-hmm. And they all have regrettable stuff, and they all have amazing stuff yeah and yeah this like this for Hanks is sort of like putting a pin in that this is his last leading man kind of role for a while for a little while and yeah he, he pursued characters but stuff. he also took the he always took a supporting role with humility and with pride mm. he never it never seemed like he was a person that was like oh I gotta be a leading man I gotta be the lead he's like no he's like, he's like I, this is a great character it's a great script I'm gonna do it even though it was blockbuster and it was Hollywood he's just that like that lovable, like you said, yeah. that lovable person that you you hope other actors will be yeah. or hope to become, and not get warmed up in the, whatever all the other messes. Yeah, I think he's like he's one of those people who everybody seems to you know, like have this concept of him just because I realize now it's been he's been around as an acting force for a long, long time. Like early '80s, he was doing sitcom appearances. Yep. And everyone forgets. It's like Clooney. You put in the years before you become famous, yeah. and you're probably going to be okay. Yeah. Like meteorically famous, like Hollywood super A-list famous. Right. Um, it's uh, Hanks was on like Bosom Buddies was one thing, but then he had that, those two episodes of Family Ties or three episodes yeah, where yeah. he just showed up. Like I was a kid then, and I still took notice. And it's like he, this guy's fantastic. Where did he come from? Yeah. Why can't he have his own thing? Yeah. And you can just feel it. Yeah. Um, the talent is there, and then. He, I think the thing that saved him ultimately from just being the bachelor party comedy guy mm-hmm. was that he could say no. And he, yeah. after doing a bunch of really broad comedies, just decided he could do other things. Yeah. And st- and he just stopped making those comedies. Yeah. Like dead stop after big. He just was not interested in them. I mean, there's Dragnet the same year maybe, or that was 87. But I think yeah. that was the last time he went like goofball Tom Hanks. And then he just started chasing stuff that mattered to him. Yeah. And so, Yeah. This thing comes along and it's like, well, it's just going to be you. Are you okay with that? Mm-hmm. And I think he had the confidence to say yes, but he also figured out a way to make it work. Yeah, uh, for himself, like before any of the filmmaking came in, he well, he developed it too. Well, it was that's his what project. I was going to say. Yeah. I think he was part of the writing. I know, I know, it was uh, it was uh, Burles, uh, William Burles, uh, who wrote yeah. Apollo thirteen, or who was one of the writers on it. That's right. And yeah, who was definitely like a friend of 
of Hanks before Zemeckis got involved. Right. I think that was it. I think his. I don't know. I don't know that I've actually read an interview with him about this specifically. But Hanks, he did talk about one like the the idea of isolation and survival. Mm-hmm. What happens when you're removed from everything? And he talked about it in elemental terms. Right. You know, if you don't have water, fire. Was it water, fire, tools, or companionship? I think was how he explained it. And oh, cool! That was what he wanted to investigate, and it's like that's all there. He invents all the. I mean, he he figures out a way to make fire. He has some water, mm-hmm. but the tools and the companionship are invented by him. Basically, he builds them while we watch the relationship with Wilson and and the spear and things like that. Right, and it's all through his head. I mean, I think I would have been okay if he never found Wilson and didn't talk. I would watch that silent film. Yeah. Because he would make it interesting. But it would have... And then that would have been a completely different film. Yeah. Because it added such a great buddy comedy aspect to it that yeah. you don't expect. Yeah. And that's that's another reason why I love it is because there's so many... Like, when he uh, gets the coral in the, in the leg and when he finds the dead body and little things like that that could turn the film in a completely different way. Or if they had one of the other flight attendants or uh, the pilots live. Sure. Let's say it's just two of them. It'd be yeah. a completely different film. And I like that they just kept it going where it's, it could have turned into a horror. It could have turned into like a very, very serious drama. But then there's always that little bit of light that keeps it going. That, that, like that Tom Hanks warmth that keeps going and keeps going. And yeah. Awesome. I, I think about the, like, to me, the most moving scene is the moment where the camera sort of catches his test for suicide. Yeah. Which is, again, he kind of laughs it off to Wilson, mm-hmm. which is such a, fascinating sad choice Mm -hmm. because you know it's the indication obviously right if you try to be sad then you should try to show play the opposite so people can see the real emotion leak through but he's just so it's the engineering aspect of it the well good thing i didn't try that and it's like yeah good that's probably what i would have done in day two so yeah good thing you didn't try that but like the identification with that moment where oh that's right if you're going to try to kill yourself you should probably make sure it'll work because that's far worse and, and that's that thing he knows, right? Like the thing he's learned is that if you're going to do this, you don't want to just lie around with broken legs because that's a far worse death. And so he just ruled it out because he's, you know, he, he went through the calculations. He did the work. And that's the basis of the character. He yeah. never lost that arc, never left, because the basis, the, the feet of the character, were never, they never left. Mm-hmm. And like even that moment when he's talking to um, Wilson and he's saying... Okay, yeah, you were right. Yeah. yeah, I know, I know. Okay, I know it didn't work, but I had to try. And I'd like, like you were saying, that's that's just good work. Yeah. <laughs> it's good work, and it's also great directing. Yes, yeah. sometimes depending on, and again, when you have a bigger budget, there's more time. But for you to keep that character consistent and to keep the basis of him throughout the entire film, as he's slowly going insane, as he's being horribly hurt like how he didn't die from infection yeah. I'll never know or a horrible sinus infection I just assume salt water I think yeah, he just yeah. kind of left his leg in the water the whole time yeah, it kind of comes up in, in Harpoon too it's one way to treat a wound it is although it's not a very good one no no it's not yeah that's and the seagull blood's definitely not a, a way to go we should have definitely gone for some fish yeah um, who, but, has, who has time who has time to go look for the fish <laughs> the when seagulls you, are right there yeah this is exactly with a, with a rock um, or no golf ball um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, it's just a good, and I, I also like the ending of it, how it makes you feel 
like that mo- that monologue that he has while he's talking after he's lost Helen or Carrie, sorry, mm. uh, he's lost Carrie, and he knows he he's he's not going for it because, you know, trying to take her away from her new husband or a new life. He's like, I I know this, you know, like, he's just such an amazing guy. He goes, No, I know this, but he's like, Now I just need to breathe because that's what I was doing before, and it kind of teaches you a little life moment that when life's in session, you just gotta breathe. And I think it's an it's an important film then, but like when I was a kid, but now, as I'm reaching more adulthood, it's it's it really spoke to me of just you know when life is truly there, and it's gonna hit you hard. You just gotta breathe through it, and you don't have to be on an island remote trying <laughs> to find fire and make your own food. It's just like no, just just breathe through it. You're gonna be okay. And just try to keep the same charm as Tom Hanks. <laughs> yeah, I mean that would definitely help. Yeah, being able to had roll that, with things. If everyone had that demeanor and that that uh, kindness, I think the world would be a better place. <laughs> yeah, and we don't need to be marooned for to learn these lessons. But no, it is the sort of thing where, yeah, I mean, again, the film just sort of luxuriates in the philosophical aspect in the second half, just because there's nothing else to do. There's yeah. there's no like there really is no big drama after he escapes. Uh, to the point where Zemeckis, who has this weird thing about spoiling his own movies in the trailers, like he really believes that yeah. it doesn't matter if he puts the finale in in the trailers. And I don't agree with that at all. No, me neither. I, uh, I, it, it bothers me to my core when I watch a movie. I'm like, oh, well, now, now you ruined it for me. You ruined me a film that I was gonna. I want to. I want to get that surprise. Yeah, I just. I why try would to, they do that? I avoid everything just because I don't want the image in my head of whatever might be happening. Yeah. when I'm seeing the film, it's like, oh well, nothing's gonna happen. This guy, I, I've seen him jump off a hat. You know, yeah, hat stand that hasn't happened yet, so everything's fine. Well, I haven't had the chance to watch Joker yet, and I'm trying my best to. Well, know. he does become the Joker. Spoiler. It's not called Arthur. Norm. <laughs> I was having a really good time. Arthur is a and different all film. of a sudden, I, now, I can't watch it. I actually want to come up with fake spoilers for that. Fake spoilers? Yeah. That's, that's well, what it turns we out he's really the penguin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Didn't yeah, see that coming, exactly. did you? Yeah. But um, I mean just little things. Like with the, you know. Oh, yeah. You just don't want to. Everything, like even the, not even the spoiler of how it ends or certain turns or twists. Just giving you too much. Climactic moments. Yeah. Moments that will jump you out of your seat, keep you on your toes, and be like, oh, that was so cool. Get you that first experience in theaters. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, I I have been in movie theaters and seen trailers and just been stuck with them rather than being able to just avoid them. Yeah. Uh, and I'm always really happy when I see a movie and it's like, oh, this was all from the first 15 minutes. Nice, clever, okay, good. Because you can just gear out and, and watch the film. A hundred percent. Yeah. That is that is the best. That is the best thing to do. The, the, uh, the other worst part, it's not people spoiling their films through their trailers but is when their trailers are way better than their films oh yeah like that's there's been a couple that i think what, what was the one killing him softly With oh Brad i remember Pitt? that yeah i, I, did not I, like I didn't movie. not like the movie mm. i was i was like okay it's fine the trailer for me just lifted it up i was like oh this is gonna be just so epic here yeah. we go let's bring out the noms and i watched i was like okay yeah. But the trailer kind well, of overhyped. Yeah, me. well, it's because the trailer doesn't spend two hours telling you all about the subtext, right? Exactly. Like, you just you get the impression of the film, which, yeah, is often a lot better. Ca- I, like, with Castaway, I don't know if it's that much of a... I, I would have fought against it, yeah. but I don't know that it really hurts the film to show us that he gets off the island. I was Because I've really been thinking about this. It's called Castaway. You're not going to send people out... Like, Robert Zemeckis is not going to make a movie where Tom Hanks dies on an island. No. I kept 
thinking that while I was watching it before I didn't know about the trailers when I saw it. Uh, it was I saw it early enough that it, I think the final trailer hadn't even come out yet. Um, and then subsequently I saw it in a theater and went, really? Like out loud <laughs> and felt bad for people who were sitting with me. Because um, I wouldn't have told anybody. No. But it's but ultimately, I think in this case, maybe not in so many of the other ones, like I wouldn't have blown What Lies Beneath the way he did yeah. uh, with the trailer. But I think as far as Castaway goes, there's something to be said for it really isn't about the destination. It really is about the journey. Like it is about yeah. watching this guy figure out who he is after he comes back. Yeah. And so there's another movie where it opens with him coming back. I mean, it wouldn't work. You have to see it. Yeah. But... You know, there could be a mumblecore film about someone being reacclimated to society and, and figuring out who he is after some kind of massive removal. Yeah, and I would watch that, especially if it was Tom Hanks. Because oh, for sure. Yeah, and it'd be it'd be fun to see that that flipped. Mm-hmm. And so I think you. That's one thing. It's you know, there's so many remakes happening. It's I think you could remake this, and I hope they don't. No, I, no one should. Leave it, leave it alone, please. If you're if you're listening, yeah. please. Well, and now I don't know that you'd. I don't know that anyone would believe any of it, right? Because everything with CG now, you know, Robert Downey Jr. being emaciated at the beginning of Avengers Endgame, right. and it's a, it's a great subtle effect. You only see it two or three times, but it's, it's really well done. It's also, there's no way that's real. No. And so at no point in the film did my brain go, oh, wow. It was just like, oh, cool effect. Yeah. And so there's something tactile, really, really real about watching it in this movie and mm-hmm. knowing that, you know, it's Fiji, there's a crew, he's fine, but all of this is physically present and he's interacting with all of this stuff and it is helping his performance. I think it really does, like the verisimilitude of the, of the film's construction makes me buy into everything. And I know he went home at night to a hotel, and like he's not living on the beach, everything's yeah. fine, but it's so much easier to plug into the reality of a film where you know the sand is in the camera and it's real and it's, it's all just there. And... Yeah, how would you even approach, what would be the point of doing it now, especially after this virtuoso performance that is captured on film? It's true. Yeah. Why? Because someone will think it's a good Because someone idea. will think it's good. It's IP. Yeah. Recognizable IP. That's exactly. Why. But that's, no, it's so true. I, I, that's, I, I really love what they're doing with CG. I love it. Mm-hmm. But there is that little bit that's missing. That, that, you know, you can see the sand on his face and walking over, picking up the FedEx boxes. And there was a moment where, at the very beginning, where when he is at shore and he's sitting there looking at his uh, beeper and he's taking the water out of it, and the water keeps coming in and out. And my thought kept going, "Oh, is it going to take the boat away? Is it just going to start slowly taking the boat away?" And he's just going to be facing off, not even seeing it. And I was like, I, my whole thought was like, "How did they get the water to come <laughs> up there so perfectly? Was there a guy pushing the water?" And it was, of course not. It's just the way it worked out. Zemeckis, I wouldn't put it past him. Yeah, he might have actually had a guy with like a big, big rectangular fan or something. Twenty men just moving the tide. That's right. Exactly. You know, they did it in the in the sixties in some sword and sandal movie. It must oh have happened. God, yeah, absolutely. And, but yeah, you also uh, apparently they had to re-record all the dialogue because of the surf. Um, it's all I didn't know it's that. almost all ADR uh, because of that. Really? Yeah, the noise just never stopped. I'm not. I'm not shocked. That would have been a nightmare. Yeah. I wonder if Tom Hanks did it. Oh, he must have. If he, if he did all of his own ADR. Because I've heard stories about people not doing their own ADR. Really? Just for timing? I think Scheduling so. and stuff like I, that? Scheduling, timing, and they have... I've, I've heard stories of uh, like voice actors coming in and imitating. 
Oh wow! The actor did. There's the no way Tom Hanks would let anybody else. Not for this. I don't. I don't think I don't so. Think? I don't think so. But that's a lot of. Yeah. That's a lot of footage. A lot of ADR. But hey, you know, it's they fooled me. Yeah. If, if that's true, I that's, did not know about it until I I looked up the trivia stuff. Uh, yeah, I was looking at. I didn't see that on trivia. That's what. Yeah, it's on the IMDb page somewhere. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, take it with a grain of salt. It might not be true, but it's probably only commentary track. I should listen to the commentary again. Yeah. Um, it's. Yeah, it's exactly what you said. Everything came together the right way. All the all the pieces landed, and it is like it's as much of a double act as a film can be between the director and the star. It, it really like it's Zemeckis trusting Hanks to get it all there emotionally, and Hanks trusting Zemeckis to get the right takes and make the CG work, and also just to keep the consistency. Mm-hmm. No, it's like you can tell, and they've, because they've worked together, you know, after that, it's like it, you can tell it's a partnership that they trust, and that's. I think it's not rare, but when you find something that good, especially with people that highly respect it, it's, you make magic. Yeah. I wonder what it was like on Polar Express. Like, Polar to, Express? Yeah. Because yeah. it is, I mean, well, it's, for whatever it is, and, and it's weird, Yeah, uh, Hanks is acting. Like He's not phoning it in. He's doing whatever is required yeah. and playing multiple characters, including one of the kids. And it's just yeah. like, how do you even go from something as demanding physically as Castaway to motion cap pajamas and you know <laughs> and this thing that well, you're also Santa like yeah, yeah, yeah. do whatever you need to do I, I I just don't think there's anything you can't do I sure, wonder sure. Yeah. like you've, like with even Cloud Atlas when they did many many different things which is a totally different topic yeah that's... Um, but even certain things with that I was like okay let's go for it yeah it's true he's not he's not giving himself a safe space to kind of be you know like he's not giving himself a way out yeah. Right. Like it's the same thing with the laughing at Wilson that he doesn't do. Right. It's like you don't. He deprives himself of the escape hatch by fully committing. And yeah, Cloud Atlas. Just even that. There's so much wrong with that film. Yeah. But everyone believes it so fervently. Right. And I kind of want to look at it again now. However many years later, five or six years later, just to see if it was just the moment that didn't work. If it was weird in like if it didn't land because I was just in the wrong headspace. Right. It's one of those films that uh, I don't. I don't think I'm wrong, right? But yeah. it pulls at me just enough. It's like, well, the next time I have three hours free, maybe. See, I watched it. And I thought I was, I was like interesting, mm. courageous. Sure. Yeah. I wouldn't watch it again. Yeah. Like it was like I was like I've, the one time, and it's fine. I, and that's not a slight. It's like okay. Yeah. Like I didn't come out of it being like what a bad film. I was kind of like. It had me think. It was like, what? What were their intentions? Then? Mm. What was their main goal for the execution? Yeah, I was like, okay. And does that make a good film or a bad film? It's up to your own discretion. Yeah. I guess for me, the, the the fascination now is that have now that both Wachowskis have come out as trans and and right. completely embraced a new identity. This yeah. film about people living multiple lives in different identities is obviously some kind of Rosetta Stone. Like it ha- in my brain, it has to make some sort of sense now in light of those choices. Um, but I don't know, like I just don't know if that's true and I that's what fascinates me. Right. I, I must return. I must go back. Yeah, and that's, I think that's the wonderful thing about films like that, I think, because even though, if you can make you think, mm-hmm. like I like films that you just watch them, they're good. And watch films that are like, oh, it makes you feel a specific motion and done. But when you can watch something and go, no, I've really got to think about it and it keeps me thinking. And then me and my girlfriend and me and my friends are out and we're still talking yeah. about it, being like, I still think that's really, really good. Like we were talking about bold choices with films, whether it's the writing, the directing, the performance. 
like like Nicolas Cage is perfect for that. Yeah, he makes bold yeah. choices all the time, and people love him. And then some people hate him. Yeah, but he's got the courage enough to make those choices, and so that's that's interesting, and that's art. Yeah, makes you think, makes you talk. I think it comes down to how he's. Uh, it doesn't happen the same way with Hanks because he's such a conventional performer, yes. right? But with with Cage, when you have an act, when you have a director who knows how to frame him, so that he is like. Cage works so much better in close-ups than, yep. in, than in long shots because in long shots he looks like an animal. He's moving in a weird way. It's like the camera's trying to keep up with him. And I think that creates a dislocation in the, in the viewer, right? Because you're just trying to, is this rehearsal? Like, what, yeah. what am I seeing? But when you see his face, when it's close-up, you totally plug in. I think like, that's the difference between Leaving Las Vegas and, um, and Bad Lieutenant, which Bad Lieutenant's a great performance, right. but the film has a much more arch perspective and leaving Las Vegas all you get from him is that sadness and that misery and it's because you're watching his face disintegrate right I think that's interesting you bring up the close up into the wides because if I'm thinking about it now with Hanks Mm -hmm. most of his films have been wides and mid shots yeah and because there is that he has such a cementing physicalness to him yeah he's like a lodestone he pulls the focus somehow and he has amazing physical comedy Mm-hmm. And he's got amazing physical performances when it comes to pain, torture, and, and, and emotion. But that's interesting. And that, like, I never thought about that for Nicolas Cage yeah. for him to be like, okay, maybe put, or even actors in general, be like, okay, if you just put them in films where it's just close-ups, you'll see them in a different light yeah. or in a mid or white. I never thought about it's, that. It's, that's it's, interesting. It only, it struck me a while back with Cage just because I was watching, maybe it was Bad Lieutenant where it was just like all the other actors are sort of getting out of his way in one shot where he rambles through a bar and you can just sort of feel people moving and that there's an uncomfortable energy and it's, it's you know, it's Werner Herzog. He just wants it to be weird right. and, and off-putting because the character is weird and off-putting and the film is about that. But I got the sense all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is like... Um, and it's a long, it's a deep cut, uh, but it's the trick that Dean Cundey came up with for Jurassic Park. That Spielberg and Dean Cundey moved the camera about three frames after the dinosaurs because that way some part of our unconscious would think about wildlife documentaries where they're trying to follow a creature that hasn't rehearsed. That's so smart. It's ingenious. Wow. And you can tell which movies do it and which movies don't. Right. And then I started thinking about Cage in relation to that, and it's like, yeah, he does. He's moving like an animal that no one understands. Like. They don't want to, people don't want to look him in the eye of the character because he's so manic. Right. But with Hanks, you get this, even when he's in a broad comedy role, like he's playing that for us. Yeah. He's like in uh, Pep Street back in Dragnet or, or the, the Man with One Red Shoe, where he's, he's sort of breaking the fourth wall without doing it, just letting us know how manic and, and how agitated he is. But, his emotion just transcends. Yeah. It's, it's like, like he's Turner acting. Hooch when his anxiety yes. and his... Um, his frustration. I, I love the moment when he's there making eggs, and he has to go because he's figured it out. And he starts clamming on the on the pans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those little moments with the dog, even. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's so true. Everything is very, but and that's purposeful, right? Right, and it's telling us that it's a movie, right? That it's movie acting. It's yes. cinematic, but everybody else in the shot is okay with it. Like it's yeah. it's been rehearsed. It's been practiced. Steve Martin kind of has the same effect. Yes, and they're both really tall, which is something that surprised me. That Steve Martin and Tom Hanks are. Taller than you think they're going to be, and they're both built like they're really strong. Yeah, physically, yeah, solid-looking guys. Yeah, like, Hanks comes off as a string bean a lot in the '80s, but right. in 1994 he was surprisingly solid yeah. and taller than I thought he was going to be. 
And same for Steve Martin, actually. Like Steve Martin's a dancer. He's built like a linebacker, but he's a right. dancer. And it's this weird contradiction. I found that out through Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee that oh, he's a yeah. dancer. And I was like, I never... But it makes total sense, though. And that's, somebody told me recently that if you've danced before, that makes you a better actor. I can believe it. Just because of like understanding... Total physical awareness, right? That's it. A hundred percent. And that's... And the same thing with the, apparently singing. If you sing before and then you become an actor, there is something. If you if you're a good singer, mm-hmm. it's through emotion, and that's the same thing with theater and stuff like that, yeah, and understanding yeah. certain intentions there. But I totally believe that. I wonder if Hanks has ever done anything like on that physical realm. I bet he's danced. <laughs> I'm just trying to think: has he ever done it in a film that isn't like a ballroom dance sequence where it's just or big on the piano? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Of course, there it is. Yeah, that kind of physicality. Yeah, it. He has. And that you see that with this comedy, so like you can have, yeah, it's very interesting. Hmm. Huh? Yeah. Now I'm just sorry. I'm just thinking through my head and like yeah, flipping, scroll deck, flipping through the rolodex of Tom Hanks' performances. <laughs> but yeah, no, and and um, and the opera scene in Philadelphia too. There's that, yeah. There's that graceful thing he does with his arms and yes. the way he moves and holds the IV stand. It's uh, yeah. Now he has. That. He's danced. He's a dancer. He's a dancer. We'll find, we'll find footage. Well, yeah, we'll find footage. It must be a dancing. Saturday Night Live sketch where he's done it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, it's, and it's all in the service, in, in Castaway, all this physicality is in the service of, of like despair and sadness. And, yeah. and when you watch him start to light up for the escape, when all of that's starting to come together, and I think the score finally comes in after a long period of silence. I wanted to bring that up, is that that's another reason why I love the film, is that there's no score. Mm-hmm. Because I, I love one of the two. I love when the score just brings out all these emotions for me or there's nothing. It's like no country for old men, just nothing. And you just let, that's why I love when he's just standing there and it's a super wide shot, but you feel everything. But there's no music. Yeah. Usually the music will tell you, okay, this is how you're going to feel. This is the crescendo and this is going to come up and it's going to stop. Yeah. And Zemeckis especially uses music. I mean, the Back to the Future score is one of all the, the great ones. But Romancing the Stone, like all of his early work is really, really driven by score. That's right. And to throw that away here is also kind of daring. It's just a daring film. It's just, it's just, that's why, it's just, it's just so good. <laughs> and, and then, again, it just makes you think it's, it's just brilliant. But yeah, that when, when those little moments come in with the music, um, it's usually moments of freedom. When you think maybe his mind is, I'm okay. Yeah. Or like little moments of peace in his head where you can tell at the very beginning and uh, as it keeps going, he's always constantly running. The machine keeps going and he's always trying to control everything and make everything perfect and, you know, micromanage everything. And then there's those little moments that just, and then that, maybe that was intentional. It has to be intentional. It's got to be, yeah. Because there's only three moments when the music comes in. But it's... Perfectly placed. There are no accidents in a Robert Zemeckis film. No, although I, I can't say that about Welcome Tomorrow. I don't know if you've seen Welcome Tomorrow. When the last one, the no. one with Steve Carell, it's a, it's a remake kind of of Marwin Call. Uh, yep. This amazing documentary. Well, he made a movie about Mark Hogan Camp. It was the. It was one with the. Uh, he was. He got assaulted. Yeah. And then he starts making taking the Polaroids fingerings. of uh, of actors. Yeah, of actors taking Polaroids of uh, Barbie dolls and GI Joes. That's right. Yeah. I've, I've seen the trailer countless times. Do not go- watch that film. No. Do not watch that. I film. was watch the documentary it. Marwin Call. It's incredible. Okay. Uh, do not watch the Robertson Mix movie. It's horrible. No. Yeah. Oh, geez. It really, it's just a... I was all excited because with Zemeckis, like, with Steve Carell, Steve Carell has those qualities. Yeah. Kind of like Tom Hanks. I would have thought. 
Um, but, um, but no, I eh? no, it's, it's just a complete misunderstanding of the material. It we, really it betrays Hogan Camp in a way that's really unfortunate. And and yeah, it's well, I'm I'm still gonna watch it. I know, it I know. I, I can see to. it in your eyes now. It's like, I have to. You must be you must be mistaken. No, see, I I, <laughs> I love when someone tells me they don't like a film. It's, so it's brilliant. It's the same thing when people say I've never seen that film. I've heard so many people like when say I haven't seen that film. They go, Oh, how can you never seen that film? How is that possible? My first mindset goes. Oh, you're so lucky. Yeah, you get to see it for the first time. Exactly. Yeah. And that's where when people say, I don't like that film, I'm like, oh, I got to watch <laughs> I got to watch because I, I get excited when people say they don't like a film. When people say they love the film, it makes me, it just depletes me. Great enthusiasm I'm, doesn't do it for I'm, you. It's, it's no, hatred. it's the other one. I don't know why that works for me. I'm just like, because if, if it gets high praise, I'm like, okay, you're, 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 you're leaving it up because I want to have my own experience with right, it, of right. course. But when someone says... <laughs> Oh, it's just so bad. It's just such a horrible film. I'm like, ooh. <laughs> ooh. Like, why? But also, am I going to love this? You are not. <laughs> no. I'll let you know. I'll let you know God, what I think. Yeah. Uh, I think I might still have the Blu-ray. You're welcome to borrow it. But Absolutely. Oh, do not put, do not spend money. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I think I still have the, I know I still have the Blu-ray because I'm fascinated by it. Uh, it is not a good film. Castaway is a good film. We that's good. Let's, that's that if is you good. if yeah if if Robert Zemeckis has a legacy, don't let it be this. I want him to make one more movie, even if it's the CG Yellow Submarine. Just get past yeah. this thing. <laughs> Show me you still have it. Show me. Yeah, I wanted to do that now, just so he can have. Maybe he'll just do in three third times a charm. He'll go for two really bold ones. Oh, I root for. But him. it's not even bold because the you said the documentary was great. It is. So it's, it has a foundation. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it does not respect it. What is it the. I don't. I no, I don't want to. I should. We I just should, talked I, about spoilers, right? I, can't, I know, I but can't now I'm so you, intrigued. I want to so, ask you about it. Oh, it's so bad. You know, yeah, that's great. You watch. You know what? You're welcome to watch it, and you want to come back and do an episode. On that. Well, that's what I'm wondering. It just seems like, me being. I'll cruel watch the documentary. You get me all excited. The documentary is amazing. It's on. I think it's on iTunes still. Mongrel released it in Canada. Okay, um, or it, it was definitely released theatrically here, and and there is a DVD of it because my review is on it, and that's very nice. But oh yeah. The, no. <laughs> okay, you know what? If I watch it and I don't like it, I'll send you a little message. This is the worst. Like, you know what, Norm? I don't want you to go through it. I agree. This is the worst game of chicken I've ever played. I don't if want you to I do like this. it, we're coming on. Let's have a debate. <laughs> we'll just, if I just love it. Oh, God. Oh. I'll love it just for spite. No. Um, I apologize in advance to oh, anyone. No. If that happens, this is the darkest timeline. <laughs> just, I don't want you to have to <laughs> suffer through it. The darkest timeline. Oh, it's two it's hours a, long. It was only one time. So bad. Um, Okay, but uh, the <laughs> I, I'm real. I'm trying to figure out how to connect this uh, back to it. The, the final question of the podcast is always the same, which is: Is there anything from Castaway that you personally have lifted, borrowed, been inspired by, stolen, outright incorporated into your creative DNA? Is there something that you use from the film? It seems so singular. It's such a weird question in this case. Absolutely, I think, and it's one of the reasons why it shows it because it holds two. Um, pieces of inspiration that I hold dear to me. So oh, yeah. Tom Hanks uh, is one of the actors I grew up idolizing. Him, like I said, Denzel, Julia Roberts, and Robin Williams. And the other aspect is what the film is, which is many different genres. So when I watch it, I, I laugh, I want to cry, I feel nostalgia, I cringe, I feel horror. And I always grew up idolizing these actors because I loved how much range they had. And I never really wanted to be something in my mind of an actor who was just one note. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to try to be, try to see how many genres could I touch, how many characters could I create believable, like and make them believable. 
And I think that's where Tom Hanks does that, where he has so many amazing earnest moments and he could literally do nothing but make it entertaining. Um, watching him do big and then cast away. Robin Williams doing Mrs. Doubtfire and The Fisher King. Sure. Um, so I just, I love those films and I also, it, it allows me to watch and be like, oh, I hope one day I could do something that courageous where it's literally, you're stripped of everything. Music, props, most props, mm-hmm. and like big set decks and just try to make something interesting out of it and try to make it entertaining. So it's just you and the camera. Yeah, yeah. and that's kind of, it just, I think that'd be fun, like a one-man one man play. You're not, like, because I think that's terrifying. And yeah, and would, yeah, it's scary, and I think that's exciting. Yeah. You know, it's there's so many roles that will terrify you and will make you shy away. And I've always been told from my father and from my, you know, people close to me growing up in the industry is like, never let fear stop you. Fear in life is good if you use it as a tool, but don't let fear ever make a decision for you. So, if there's something that scares you, jump at it. Yeah. Is that what uh, Harpoon was? The idea of just three people in one location? Yeah. That kind of thing? Yeah, that was that was fun because of... Well, you have to watch the film, but yeah. there's so many... There's a, there's a cool turn that happens. Well, I was going to say, you do get to play every genre in this, basically. I mean, it's it's not... I don't think it's a spoiler to just say it's it's not what it appears... The film is it's not what not it appears what, to be. It's all turns. over the place, and it's... It's, it's all over the place. It's a blast yeah. for that. I really enjoyed that. Well, and um, Brett Gelman kind of sets the tone for that. So when you hear that he's the narrator, you're like, oh, okay, so where are we going? But then you see all the gore and the, 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 the thrill of it. Yeah. And that's why I was like, okay, let's go after it. Because I've done a few things in the last couple of years where I've played, you know, the main antagonist where he's the stalker killer or he's the head of the cult. Um, but this one was just different. And it was, it was different, it was weird, and it was, again, just us three. Yeah. And it was for, for you to have just you three isolated nowhere to run let's see if we can make it entertaining let's see if we can make it entertaining make it consistent make it interesting and hopefully people watch it and like it and that's always a blast yeah i really enjoy the idea of a film where you don't really necessarily get to root for anybody they're all kind of awful but they're the only people we have so what's gonna happen let's see where they go and that's what that's rob's intention with it rob's like not everybody's perfect yeah. We all have to accept that. You think you're, like, we're not all Tom Hanks. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, these people are not good people. But at one point or another in the film, you're rooting for one of them. And you're hating the other one. And they kind of all, well, it's like swiveling plates, right? Like, you just keep recombining the, the alliances and the allegiances. And, like, do I like this person now? Is this person worse? What's going on in this moment? And, I, yeah, that was really fun. Good. I, I like what Rob Grant does with genre, which is just refuse to be any one thing. Yeah. Uh, Fake Blood, which is kind of a documentary, right up until it isn't. And then see, I thought it, I thought I was so convinced it was a, a documentary at first. I was like, oh, interesting. Like at first, I was like, no, no, it's turned into a film. And that's actually where I first met him face to face because he had edited Knuckleball. Right. And I knew that, but when I watched the film, I was like, oh, interesting. And then we actually got to talk and. Then he's like, yeah, I edited Knuckleball. I'm like, oh, right. Yeah. I totally, we didn't clue in, but he doesn't like doing the norm. And he doesn't like doing things that are plain Jane cookie cutter. And you see that Knuckleball. And that's where it's a challenge for, and which is a joy for Chris and Sasha, uh, not Sasha, Emily and myself. Right. Um, where we're like, now we get to really play with different genres and 
for lack of a better term, flex what we've been working on. Oh yeah, I mean it's an, our whole career. It's an actor's piece. It's great. That now, that was the thing that I was surprised by because yeah. I'm just all I got was the link and the title and the, and then I saw the poster, which yeah. is like even then I'm depriving myself of further information, uh, other than the oh this is Rob Grant's new movie I can't wait right and it is not like it is an actor's showpiece. There is nothing but you guys and a set and and it's yeah more i want more of those those are yeah. fun that's it and that's and see that kind of reaction is what we're hoping for like that's so thank you so much for oh, that but no i just wish i could have seen it with an audience like it must be a really different experience with 300 people well that's and that's what's really really fun we had that in fantasia with the uh you know with the audience there the audience there is always amazing but you know if you do want to go see it at the carlton right now it'll be here probably for another week um yeah it's that. really good in the audience again everything is always better on the big screen but the yeah, I recommend that too. Don't wait for the VOD. You should see this with people. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, you only got to see the screener. Yeah, I mean, I projected it. I watched it in a, in, in the garage. So oh, it's cool. 120 inch screen. Oh, that's not bad. That's, that's not bad. That's, that's pretty fine. good. Yeah, yeah. 2K projector. It's okay. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I was just like, that's messy. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, it was messy in negative uh, 30 Calgary <laughs> Calgary studio. We had heaters literally on in the studio because they had built this incredible lower deck. And it just worked where we got the yacht, like, I think it was a week before we got to Belize. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, the idea that you shot this in Belize and Calgary. Yeah. And oh, it's yeah. the same location. And, it's, and, and, like, matching to be the same place is kind of wonderful. Yeah. No, and, and it literally worked perfectly. There was a big gamble there where the yacht maybe wouldn't look like there was going to be certain windows that we had played it because we shot in Calgary first. Mm-hmm. Oh. So we were all really interested to say, how is this going to work? And they, they did amazing stuff with uh, the lighting to make the um, the reflection of the water on the roof. Mm-hmm. I remember that specifically for Emily, Chris, and myself. We were like, okay, now we feel we're here. Now we feel we're in the boat. It, before that, it was okay. It's cold and, you know, we're all covered in blood. And Except for Emily. Emily wasn't as covered in blood, right. but she had enough to deal with. <laughs> yeah. And, and the mass craziness of Chris and, and myself throughout it. But, um, you know... That really, it was just amazing work that they did to create that. And then the fact that it, we were able to make it look proper with the yacht that they got. You don't ask questions with those. You're just like thankful that it worked out and move on. But yeah, it was the, cool. the low budget alchemy yeah. of, of a genre picture. Yeah. Plus, we have suspension of disbelief. We're in, like, by the time it becomes an issue, I think I was already on board. As yeah. long as there wasn't like a horrible blue screen shot, I would never have noticed. That's it. Yeah. Well, that's you. You know what you're getting into with the with the lower budget indie films, and that's why it's kind of fun to see Castaway. Yeah, yeah. And I was say. also like how they did that in Fiji. Like, other than the you know the main um, plane crash that they obviously did in studio, mm-hmm. which I'd love to see how they did that. I'd love to see like a, a BTS like previs of some camp. sort. Yeah, something how they did that, but. Um, you know, you have to figure it out for yourself, and you have, like you have to cheat angles all the time. Like we had the yacht on a dock, and yeah. we just cheated it every single time. You know, when you're in Fiji, and you're on an island, you know, you kind of have, you know. But it, again, he didn't really go places. Like he said, oh, "I've looked all over the island looking for rope, and this is what's left." But yeah. they don't show. We that, don't see it, no. which I think is wonderful because they didn't actually have him going through the jungle or whatever it would be in the mountainous region of the of the island. Yeah, they just had him in three places it was under his tent it was on the rock in the water or in the cave yeah and it really feels more isolated that way right we never we we get a sense of how big the island is yeah but yeah the fact that he doesn't venture 
makes it, what is it, five years later, it hits home so much more that he, this is what he's settled on because yeah. either everything else is too dangerous or there's just nothing. Yeah. And it makes it feel more desolate somehow just by being alone with Tom Hanks in yeah. one spot. Well, and that's, and that's exactly, and that's where I think Harpoon is interesting and a little claustrophobic because although we go out in onto the top of the dock and, you know, you see the water, but mm-hmm. all of it's mainly just in the cabin. Yeah. And so that adds another level of anxiety. Hopefully. Yeah. Oh, I think it works. I can't wait to see how people respond to it. It's yeah. Yeah, it's not what you think it's gonna be, folks. That's, yeah. That's exactly. a good thing. Yeah, exactly. My thanks to Monroe Chambers, who you can catch in Harpoon this week at the Carlton Cinema if you're in Toronto, just like he said. It's also available on iTunes, but you know, if you can, you should see it in the theater. And check out Monroe in Riot Girls, directed by friend of the show Yvanka Vukovic. It's on VOD right now as well. You can find Monroe on Twitter at the underscore Monroe, and you can find Castaway on Blu-ray and DVD from 20th Century Fox Home Entertainment. It's also available on iTunes and Google Play. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at nowtoronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. If you feel like leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you enjoy the show, that would be greatly appreciated. Every little bit helps, it truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network. They're pretty good. Thanks for your support. And thanks for listening. See you next week. Please don't watch Welcome to Marwin. I'm afraid you're just too darn loud.